0: Hello everyone and welcome to Wealth Chat presented by CGI. My name is Labna Baby, I lead research for our global wealth and capital markets practice in Toronto, and I am your host. For this episode, I had a chat with Brian Sachadeva. Brian is Vice President of CGI's Digital Wealth Platform. We spoke about trends in advisor technology solutions, platformization, innovations being pursued for CGI's digital wealth platform, and how AI and machine learning can help firms achieve hyper-personalization. Hi, Brian. Thank you for being here. How are you? I'm very
1: good, Lubna. Thank you for having me.
0: Not a problem. We're very excited that you're here. Uh, Now, before we get started, why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself so everyone can get to know you a bit better?
1: Sure. Happy to do that. Um, So my name is Brian Sajdeva, and I'm the vice president of global wealth management solutions here at CGI. I work on essentially our digital wealth platform, which is what we bring to market as our portfolio management, advisor experience, and investor facing platforms to the market. I've been in the fintech and specifically the wealth tech area for Oh, gosh, I'm dating myself now about 15 years. And I've always focused <laughs> on that advisor experience and, and really working with firms on, you know, what do they need to make a more efficient front office environment? Yeah,
0: that, that's great. Now, before we get into uh, the advisor journey and advisor tooling, um, tell us something about yourself that not many people know or people would be very surprised to learn.
1: Sure. Um, so I, even though I've been in wealth tech, I guess, for for a while, like I said, I'm actually, you know, an, an engineer by background and uh, a nerd actually at heart. So um, <laughs> I'm a big Star Trek fan. Um, so I've been to many conventions. Um, you know, I have the signed plates from all of the next generation crew. So uh, if you ever want to talk Star Trek, I'm your guy for sure.
0: Well, You know, this is uh, a bit embarrassing, but I have to confess, until very, very recently, I didn't even know the difference between Star Trek and Star Wars. Uh. Uh, (laughs) So you know what? Before I embarrass myself further by divulging those details, let's move on. Uh, So given your experience uh, and your background and your current role at CGI, what are some of the trends that you're seeing in advisor technologies? What are the tools that are coming out to create a more efficient experience?
1: Yeah, it's that's a good question. Um and it is funny because you always see these sort of cycles and waves and I think we're in a current wave where you know there's a lot of investment. You know, a lot of people say that, you know, COVID has has sort of prompted an investment in digital and I don't think they're wrong. I think that's that, that's pretty accurate, but I think the biggest trend we're seeing right now certainly uh from an advisor uh workstation perspective or an advisor experience perspective is really making it seamless and easy right and it's all about reducing friction and at the start of the pandemic it was okay well how can we enable our advisor force to work remotely but now it's hey people not just advisors but investors and everybody are kind of comfortable with the working from home it's kind of comfortable not having to go into a brick and mortar branch and so there's a lot around how do we make things a lot simpler how do we make things more digital how do we make things like the onboarding experience faster how do we make things like um, having to do reviews and trade-offs and paperwork um, actually not really a thing and just make it all digital so you're seeing a lot of that sort of as the front of what we see, but in the back of that, a lot of firms are going, well, to enable that, oh my God, there's so many like legacy things I need to go and fix, and I need to fix under the hood a little bit more. So definitely seeing those pop up a lot with our customers.
0: Absolutely. And when I think about it, I really uh, do think about the streamlining of client onboarding Uh, When I was in the industry, that was one of our major pain points was that there was just so much manual work that was involved in onboarding, even for existing clients. So what are some of the improvements that you're seeing in that particular space when it comes to onboarding?
1: Oh, good. good, good. Another good question. You always have the good questions, Lubna. I love having these (laughs) chats with you, for sure. Um, And and I think the easiest way that I can talk about this is, is not just from sort of what we're seeing, you know, the big banks or or enterprise clients implement, but even from our own experiences as consumers of wealth, right? Like, I know, I know you have investment accounts. I've, you know, we talk about them sometimes. I've got an advisor and I have my own investment accounts. And where I've seen a market improvement is in some of the digital disruption. Like, I opened a Wealth Simple account, and that was a breeze, right, from that perspective. Um, and then I, you know, I remember what it was like even just helping my parents and, and covering, you know, sort of their financial needs with their advisor. And it was just like all the paperwork, everything that needed to be scanned, all the in-branch in visits that they had to do to verify IDs. And I'd say that's where things have come a long way. So um, I recently had the, I guess... Pleasure or displeasure of having to move my parents' financial uh, investments from one advisor to a new a new advisor at a completely different um, provider, and I have to say I was surprised with how much easier that was. It was, you know, all through you know email and this document portal, and we were just really forwarding PDFs, and that was a lot simpler. Like you know, we didn't need to. You know, we we took a photo of the licenses and and the documents and we sent them over. Um, So I'd say a lot of what I've seen as sort of the tactical wins from an onboarding perspective have focused on digitizing that paper experience. So what used to be fill out the form, have it signed, send the physical paper pack to all the different groups and wait for it to come back and, you know, wait for the cage to do their thing and, and come back. A lot of that's been digitized. I think that's that's kind of the table stakes where a lot of the the big firms have have sought improvement um I remember a big transformation project I did for for you know for a bank in that space and and it was like really reduced this giant folder of paper into like a bunch of digital documents but i think I think where where it gets stuck is it's still just an electronic representation of a paper based workflow. Um, and where the digital disruptors, like, you know, the, the robos, like, like both well, simple and others have made the leap is it's not just about digitizing that paper-based process, but it's actually about what is that mobile experience? What is that end user experience of, I just want to click a few, you know, options and enter some details and get started right away. And, and, and the smart groups that have done this, some of the banks have done this, the smart ones that have done this have realized you actually have to take a look at your business offering. And maybe you don't support every single account type. Maybe you don't support all the complex needs. You cover 80% of the use cases, but you do so extremely well. And the rest of the 20% you can do with your electronic paper-based process. So I'd say that's, that's a lot of what you know. what I've seen both as a provider and as a consumer.
0: Yeah, no, that's great, and I've had similar experiences with Wealthsimple. Uh, just the idea that I was able to go and open up an account in under five minutes without having to go anywhere—it's great. Uh, was fantastic. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, and it got me thinking. You know, what are some of the changes that uh, established firms like on Bay Street can be doing? What what changes can they make today? And they could be small things that can really help them, you know, create this new digital foundation. Uh, to have a more more efficient processes in place.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, having, having been through a few onboarding programs with some of the big five here in Canada, um, I'd say the first thing to do is really challenge the thinking, right? And a lot of these are treated as big IT programs uh, the same way that they would treat introducing a new, you know, workflow platform, and it's not just about, okay, well, let's meet all the different stakeholders at the bank, get the requirements, and then start building. It's actually nothing to do with the internal groups and everything to do with who the client is and what the experience you want them to achieve is. So you kind of have to challenge the thinking first of being a customer-first mindset. And, and you see some banks are, and some of the big uh, you know, uh, wealth providers are, are switching to that. Then, then the next thing is um, don't boil the ocean, like I said, right? Like, so many firms will get bogged down in analysis paralysis, or they'll get stuck with, oh, compliance won't sign off on this, or, you know, we're, we're stuck because this is the process today. And it's just like limit your scope to even if you just did like RRSP, TFSA, and RESP, and, and like an, an individual account, just start with that as your scope. And you're, you're sure maybe that only covers even 60% of your use cases, but get that out and get that tested in the market um, and then get the feedback from that. So I, I'd say that the biggest advice just from experience is really try to create an end to end journey that's digital for your customer, not just a digitization of the paper and focus on a smaller, reduced, controllable set of scope that you can really push the boundaries of the thinking.
0: Right, And if I can get you to put on your engineering cap on for a second, are there any areas that firms are overlooking that they really shouldn't be because they might be very easy and simple fixes to help them create a better experience for their advisor force and their client base?
1: Yeah. And it's funny you say my engineering hat, you know, that yeah, I'm, I'm not, you know, I was never an advisor. Um, I work with advisors and, and you know, I've, I've written uh, some of the credentialing courses, but yeah, like I said, I'm I'm an engineer and a nerd at heart. So my brain is always thinking about things sometimes at odds with how some of our, our wealth management firms think about things and I'm just trying to solve problems. Um, and, and it's funny because I see these really great, well-designed, user experiences and then they stop at the one thing that I was hoping I would see different which is um I need it to be right away right so like as soon as I submit the the worst experience is I get an email back that says thanks we've received it and we'll let you know when your account is open like <laughs> oh yeah like just like i feel like domino's and pizza hut have solved this problem which is show me the the tracking of where my application <laughs> is please um it's it's simple things like just status updates and keeping communication open with clients that proves so much especially in that sort of you know the onboarding is like your first impression with a firm so anything you can do to make it more transparent. And again, like I you know, I'm going to relate it to things that we encounter every day. I like like ordering a pizza. I'm going to get a status update every step of the way and then, you know, an ETA for when it's going to be done. It's not going to be thanks, you'll hear from us when it's open. Like that's that's the worst. And like I went through this with one with one of the banks when I tried their robo thing and it was just like, "What?" Like, how am I like, okay, what do I do? Like, what's the timing? And then I had to call in and they're <laughs> like, oh, well, you know, it's been assigned to somebody. And it's like, that was like pulling teeth to get that status. So I'd say that's one, really one quick win is just focus on the communication updates. Um, and the other one too is um, if I do want to get some help from, from like uh, an assisted channel, um, I basically have to start all over again with um with 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 some of these things and and it's as simple like these are low-hanging fruit here simple as giving access to the call center to the same application that i'm using because you know i call in and i get so frustrated when i one don't get to talk to my my advisor i or or, or you know talk to somebody who's licensed i talk to a support person and they're like well i don't have access to that so i'm going to start your application all over again and it's like well that was just a complete waste of my time, and it's like all like do you want my credentials and my email I'll give it to you It's faster, obviously I shouldn't do that, and I don't do that because <laughs> I'm secure and everything, but like those that's low hanging fruit for a firm to solve is just give your support people the same access that you're giving me so that they can finish my application for me rather than have to start all over again
0: no i I absolutely uh would feel the same way. And I think everyone can relate to that story. Like We've all had an experience where we called into a call center only to be bounced between person to person because either A, they don't have access to what you have access to, or B, they don't have sufficient training to deal uh, with just very common issues. Um, and from my perspective, it is very frustrating where I, I remember when I worked in the industry that there were accounts that were, you know, in queue to be open for days. And you would have clients calling you and asking, okay, where's my account? And in contrast, I can go and, like, look at my phone and I get constant notifications from Amazon. Exactly. Letting me know where my packages are, right? It's, like, it's on the way. It's with Person X and it'll be at your doorstep between, usually within an hour time frame window. So, I think one of the things that can help even the front office, and you touched on this earlier, uh, is the idea of platformization and you know platformization being connective tissue that helps integrate various systems and not just one uh, one system or one product the way sometimes people view it, but it 's more the idea that uh, my account opening process is linked to my investment uh, system, which is linked to my financial planning system so when you think about platformization and you look at the industry. At what phase of the journey do you feel the industry is currently in?
1: Yeah. So maybe I'll start with, I love that term platformization. The, the, the product marketing person in me is going, ooh, new term. Yay. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we, we love making new terms in wealth tech all the time. Um, but I, I like the way you described it, um, Lubna, which is that platforms are really that connective tissue between All the different things. Right. And and the way I think about it is we've clearly moved away from just wealth products. Right. Like we don't market. I mean, we do market particular funds and we do market particular um, investment product. But certainly the conversation and if and if you're not on this train, you know, get on the train. But the, the train has definitely been barreling down. Uh, shift from that conversation away from investment product to investment service and financial wellness is maybe the is, is maybe the destination we want to get to, and and that's important because it fundamentally means we need to approach things like what tools we use in a different way, and that's where the platform becomes so important. I think right um, because. We, we, we think about, okay, I need to create a financial plan. I need to um, talk about goals. I need to talk about financial education with my client. Then I need to create an investment plan for, for parts of that financial plan. Then I need to, you know, leverage some managed products. And then, you know what, I'm going to have these other accounts and I need to do trading on it. And then you think about All the different things that you need to go through as an advisor, as a wealth provider, as a whatever, portfolio manager, advisor, all the different wealth participants that you need to go through just to just to do that. And then you, you come out with, well, there's no one tool to do that. It's going to be a combination of tools. It's going to be a combination of different experiences. And so the platform for me is how can we bring all those Different use cases and pieces of functionality together, and sometimes there's different providers participating in that. So the the platform is that glue that makes it really quick to integrate all of those different use cases. And I think that's where that's what the the business and and the industry has started to adopt is that platform and that concept of yeah, we, we really need something like you know I think of it like Netflix, like. It's the Netflix. The platform is the Netflix. And all my different tools are just the different cool series and TV shows and movies that are on there. But it's all participating well onto that sort of platform. And and that's, you know, it's caught on and that's sort of been the space. But your I think your specific question, because I talk a lot and sometimes I forget the original question, but I think your original question was um, sort of what are the trends we're seeing from that perspective? And some of the trends I think we're seeing from a platform perspective uh, really are about um, really understanding the different journeys for the advisor and the client and how are they executed seamlessly? And there's usually a, a sort of order that people go in, right? The firms go in. First, they, they start tackling, well, how can I create sort of this unified sort of account structure? Um, because at the end of the day, if I'm going to have to open one account for your SMA as an RSP, one account as another RRSP for maybe your you know, your, 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 your non-managed stuff and maybe another RRSP because it's going to be tied to another goal. Well, then like I've just opened five RRSPs for you. There's, there's no sense in that. So how can I put everything together in one account structure? That's one piece. The other piece is integrating to things like financial planning um, and integrating the reporting out of that. So it's a seamless end-to-end journey. And that's, that's really what firms are investing in from a platform perspective to start with.
0: Yeah, that's great. And I guess as we're discussing platforms, there's a platform that you and I are both quite close to, that being CGI's Wealth 360 Digital Wealth Platform. So when when you look at digital wealth, um, where do you, like, I guess we should start with kind of where did CGI's Digital Wealth Platform start? Like, what was the beginning journey? And now where are we headed?
1: We're going to talk about the product that I run, GASP. Um, Yeah, no, of course, for sure. So originally, and if if any of the listeners are certainly from the Canadian marketplace, you may recognize the term empower or invest as uh, sort of the stepping stone of the solution to what it's become today. And I'd say where we have predominantly had a lot of success in the I'll say distant past now is in our history and our legacy has been really centrally managed programs, right? So we, you know, we were the first in the Canadian market to introduce UMA building off of a solid SMA, um, really strong portfolio accounting capabilities. Then, you know, we grew to UMH, um, and, and turning that into the household level, we you know we we pioneered you know one of our greatest features, which is the harmonized trading console. So we we started out there um, as, as sort of our bread and butter, but we we've evolved quite a bit since then. And I think some of that evolution has been, you know, going back to what I was saying, which is, you know, the the shift is not just a really great SMA product, but How does that translate into better financial advice? And at the end of the day, it's not just going to be, I'm going to take 100% of your assets and put them in a combination of centrally managed models. Uh, Some advisors are going to keep a um, non-discretionary business. Some advisors are licensed PMs and are going to want to manage part of that. Clients are going to have certain needs where some of the assets shouldn't go into the managed program but should sit in the account. And then it was really taking that engine that we had and extending it into that RepSPM space, into the advisor trading space. And that's actually when we renamed from portfolio management to. The digital wealth platform because we were moving into that whole advisor end-to-end journey with the introduction of our advisor experience we were moving into how clients um, interact with that with our investor or client experience and that's that's sort of why we called it the digital wealth platform so that was the evolution of of uh, of it and you know we you know we've been on that journey for for many years and you know we have lots of clients now moving onto that platform so you know that that in itself is the proof point to me that we went in the right direction.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I guess since we are speaking with the person that runs the platform, can you tell us some exciting things that are coming from the digital wealth platform innovations that we're currently pursuing?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, and so, you know, you, you think about it, and, and I think about it as being logical. You kind of start with the technology foundation then you start with the, the the journeys and you layer that on top. And I think, you know, we've, we've gotten a solid handle on that side with the introduction of those different user experiences. Um, but when I look forward, I think what I'm really interested in is not the features and functions, but um, the data and the meaning behind um, some of the the functionality, like why we do the things that we do. And, and I say that because where I see a lot of um, potential and where we're investing quite a bit from a roadmap perspective are things like introduction of ESG and SRI related data, um, really continuing to invest in, you know, our interpretation of hyper-personalization. And and then the other one is the introduction of AI and ML, really to, again, take it away from features and functions that I have to click through to get a certain setup and job done for my client and to get through the transactions uh, of my client to where should I focus my time? What should I do that has the most impact and value to my clients? How do I react to things like market events in a way that is in the best interest of my book of business. And that's where I think we can provide a lot of help. It's not just now you can do it, but actually here's probably where you should focus your time and here's going to be the most benefit. So the the analytics, some of the machine learning that goes into that, um, I'm super excited for uh, and can't wait to see that roll out.
0: Yeah, I'm excited too. You touched on two themes that I personally am very interested in, one being ESG and the other being hyper-personalization. So ESG uh, has been growing. I believe the latest IT report that came out had global retail and individual investor ESG investments in the US $45 trillion area. Uh, so, And this trend is not slowing down anytime soon. Uh, all the trends point towards more growth in this area. Um, and obviously, I kind of link ESG to personalization because the reason why there's been such a big growth in ESG is because people want to invest with their values. So when we look at things like hyper personalization, what are some of the things that we at CGI are interested in pursuing? And that's diving a bit more, I suppose, into the AI and machine learning portion, but also what the industry is pursuing.
1: Yeah, for sure. And and I feel like we kind of need to back up a little, right, when we talk about hyper-personalization. Because you used a really good word there, Lubna, and you always use the right words. It's, it's one of the things that you're really good <laughs> at, like you. finding the exact right word for what I'm thinking about. Uh, it's about values, right? And it's about the investor's value. and And again, like the best hat I can use is myself as a consumer of these services. Um, I don't just want to talk about, you know, the returns on my investments. I don't just want to see pretty graphs that show me what you're projecting. Um, I know that my investments and and my wealth have an impact on my community, on society. And those are part of my value system as a person, right? Um, and, And so... That's where I think people maybe sometimes get lost in the ESG conversation, which for those of the listeners that, you know, are are, are maybe not up to date. So that's like sort of the environmental, social uh, responsibility and, and governance aspect of investing um, and or SRI, which is socially responsible investing and And people think, "Oh, well, let's just show the stats, and now we just have yet another page to add to my quarterly performance report that shows me you know these cool numbers and scores of e s g for my portfolio and It's like, well, well, that's good because I care about those metrics, but you actually have to make it part of the conversation right like i didn't I didn't just want to see a report. I wanted you to actually factor my preferences from an e s g perspective like You know, right now I'm really concerned about, you know, the political environment in the Middle East. So can we look at the impact of my investments from that lens? Not just here's the ESG score for my portfolio. Um, and, and, And I think that's where people sometimes lose the end vision And just jump on the esg train it's like oh look we've got esg um and and so that's why for me it's like that's that's why i say it's on the roadmap right for 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 something like that is sure i can throw the esg data in right now and if you want you can see it but how do i help you make that a relevant conversation for 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 your client um but that's that's one aspect right that's one area of my values the other area of my values are things like um I want to make sure we're doing this in a tax optimized way. And, oh, I have, you know, I have my parents to consider and their needs in the future and, you know, estates and children. So like, are, you know, are we gonna set up, you know, a trust for like, hyper-personalization is so many things. It's take into account my personal situation. How are we gonna adapt from a tax perspective? How are we gonna adapt from a goals and needs perspective? Like what's, you know, what's gonna be my actual lifetime cash flow? How are we going to accommodate my values as a a person who has independent thoughts and cares about different things? So that's really hyper-personalization. It's not just, here's your financial plan, here's your ESG rating, which is where so many people tend to just stop.
0: Yeah, no, that was great. And I completely agree with you. I feel that ESG um, and just investing with your values and that could be thematic or impact it extends far beyond just the rating. Yeah. Um, and we've seen, you know, there's been many headlines about greenwashing, for instance, yeah. which is why we've had the regulators step in and there's all these uh, standard-setting bodies bodies that are getting involved to create formalized standards for ESG reporting. Absolutely. Um, so. You also mentioned something else in there, and that was artificial intelligence and machine learning. And I wanna dive a bit into that because one of my favorite examples uh, that I've seen in the marketplace and one that fascinates me a lot is Morgan Stanley's uh, Next Best Action. Yep. I, you know, I look at this tool and I, I read about it. I have not had the chance to uh, interact with it myself. Me being in Canada and them being over in the US. (laughs) But I I just, it's a tool that I'm very fascinated by. I think the fact that it's constantly being fed with information and it's learning day in, day out to provide better information and to create a more personalized experience for clients. Um, I know that recently an executive uh, from Morgan Stanley came out and discussed that during the pandemic the tool was used eleven million times, and it resulted in advisor making uh, i believe about five to six additional calls per day, uh, which is which is a very large number having been. Uh, In an advisor's office myself and working with a team, I know how difficult it can be to get from one client to another, especially when you're considering everyone's needs. So can you discuss a bit about what's happening with Next Best Action? I feel like you would be more familiar with it Uh, and just what the industry is doing and how they can aspire to have a similar tool.
1: Sure, and and let's break down some of the things that you you described in there. And I think the Morgan Stanley example is 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 perfect. So maybe we'll start with some of the myths, I guess, about you know machine learning. Um, you know, I think I think a lot of people look to it as this big holy grail that's going to make all these amazing investment decisions. And um, certainly there are areas of AI. And ML that are focused on on that, on, on trading and investing. But I think the more practical use cases and where the majority of our industry is, is or should be focusing are things like the next best action. And what you described there was really important because um, you talked about it being fed by data and it being, you know, in production for years and it learning from all the input that it's getting. And that's so critical, right? Like machine learning is all about, um, you know, we talk about training a model from a machine learning perspective. And it's about coming up with not a perfect solution, not a perfect prescriptive answer, but can I get the brains to understand the inputs and provide an output? And can I give it feedback for when it's right and when it's wrong so that brain or the model gets smarter and better so it can, you know, get the right and wrong more accurately? And so then if it's giving me all that sort of right information, then my brain doesn't have to do that, which is going to be much slower than a computer. And so that's kind of the fundamentals to think about from a machine learning perspective. And when you think about it from that perspective, something like next best action is awesome. Now I, I did see the Morgan Stanley implementation. Now this was like five years ago. And when I saw it, you know, I was at a conference and what I saw, at least in the use case that I saw was there's a bunch of market data news, right? So major movements in the market along with some uh, market news to go with that. And, and, you know, that's something that I know a lot of advisors relate to is, you know, they've got the different stocks on their watch list that they have across a lot of their portfolios, any major movements, you know, they, they, they need to call their clients. But the beauty of this tool was it summarized that based on the positions you actually held and ordered them based on the largest weight positions you had, And it gave you an alert to tell you that there was a major movement. It gave you the article. Then it went the next step further and found all the clients that, you know, held this and sorted them again by their exposure to this security. And it even gave you one click way to send an email. So like, it'd give you the list and it'd say like, okay, Mr. You know, John Appleseed, click on his name. It would have, dear Mr. John Appleseed, and then it would have a summary of the market event and its impact to the client portfolio. And all you really had to do is tweak it if you really wanted and just hit send. Like that is so much brain power and so much time that I know advisor teams spend today, if they're good, um, doing, you know, based on, on their stuff. And, and, and that wasn't even the machine learning part. The machine learning part was the feedback it got from the advisors when it would say, well, this is useless, and or this is obvious, or, oh, this is so good, this is actually saving me time. It was those inputs, that feed that feedback, the training, that actually made the model so much better, and now you get really high quality output. And again, that was five years ago, so I can only imagine how well-trained that is, and I can only imagine what they're surfacing is recommended actions, right from that perspective, so I think that's that that's the coolness of it, and I think that's where it's going.
0: yeah, no uh, again, I'm very amazed by it. I think it's very impressive, and the way you described it, I can definitely see a lot of advisors being very intrigued by this because today they don't really have similar tools to help them it's really. They have to monitor the markets themselves and then generate their own list or, you know, have a very good memory of who owns what in order to connect with clients. Um, And this is another way for them to be engaged and to ensure that they do have constant contact with their clients and also that clients feel valued, right? They know that, okay, uh, this is occurring and my advisor is completely on top of it. Whenever something happens, I get this touch point from them. It might be a phone call, it might be an email or whatever it is, really explaining the situation so that I'm always informed. I feel that's very powerful for for clients to have. They really appreciate those types of touch points uh, from my experience. So when we, I guess going back to AI, I know that a lot of firms are of course striving to have similar tooling. But like, where should they start? Like, what are some of the preliminary things that they should be thinking about when they think about having ai in their practice
1: yeah for sure um and and i think the best way i can answer that to be honest lubna is why some firms succeed and why some firms fail at doing this well um and it's and it's easier to probably talk about some lessons learned from from firms that i've either talked to or, or helped with uh, from that perspective that, that fail. And sometimes they 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 understand that data is obviously at the heart of enabling good machine learning, good AI models. But they get a little too hung up on data governance and, and, and data. And it's just like, just get started. Like, get some data. But you know what? Are you going to have the right data? You're probably not. Um, just get through an understanding of what data you have and how quickly you can get through it because the next step is the more important. And this is the step that a lot of people kind of don't spend enough time on, which is you kind of need to be creative, but you need to think about what is it that you can create a bit of a model for and what is the use case for it, right? So something as, as brilliant as... Well, I can see that a lot of people are spending time trying to figure out how to decipher market movement news and translate that to their clients. That's something we can help with. Like thinking like that, like what are the use cases that you want to help that you that where decisions are being made? And a lot of people go, oh, my God, I have no idea how to come up with, um, you know, a use case for machine learning and just think about where are advisors and advisor teams spending brain power and time that they could delegate to somebody else and that somebody else can be a machine. And, and then you come up with, okay, well, there's some logical use cases that I can think about where you know, we can get some of the data and we can present it as, a, as an answer and somebody can tell me if that answer was right or wrong. And that's kind of how you have to shape your thinking. Once you come up with your use case, then you'll figure out what data you need, right? And then, and then you can start to prototype your, your 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 data analytics, your your models, and you can put a prototype into place. And so, a lot of firms fail on even that journey because they don't know how to think about the use cases. They spend too much time on trying to focus on super clean data when the whole point is to get better training. Yes, you need some minimum clean data, but like, you know, 80-20 rules, like focus your time on where it's most valuable. And then the, the third part is, you know, if you just create this tool, and I think, again, I'll give kudos to Morgan Stanley. They didn't just create a tool and said, here you go, field. Have at it. They incented and they incentivized advisors to use. They worked on the change management. They understood and communicated that this would be a multi-year journey to get the feedback to get the model to improve. And so you really have to think about how are you going to introduce this solution to the field? And a lot of that is change management. A lot of that is, you know what, internal marketing um, and and having a vision and roadmap for where you want it to get to. And I'd say that's probably one of the biggest areas where firms fail is they just create tools and and then launch them. With, with nothing around it other than training and like sort of the minimum required to do a successful launch and it's not about a journey and a program so those are usually the 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 missing ingredients for a successful application of machine learning and AI uh, from a from a, a da perspective uh, sorry from a uh, financial services perspective the other one is and it is related to data is I can't underscore enough the importance of not just having financial transactional data. You need things that you can use to, you know, for lack of a better business term, I'll use a more technical term, you need the right data so that you can cluster your data points together appropriately. So for example, if you just use the data from, you know portfolio management or portfolio accounting and you ignore the data from CRM or you don't integrate the data from CRM you're not going to get that useful of information because you can't relate it back to the clients and which kinds of clients and you know the advisor and their style so like really don't forget about like the human aspect from a data perspective and admittedly that is the hardest data to capture but you know if you if you know about it in advance, you can start and you can figure out ways to pull in different pieces of data like that.
0: yeah, no, that's great. and to me, it does make sense that in order to have that holistic picture and to be able to provide very useful insights, you would need data from dif- several different points and different systems just because every decision I feel uh, touches a- upon. Different aspects of the client. It's not just their portfolio. Uh, it might be something in their financial plan as well, or something that you captured in CRM that they're passionate about. Exactly. Um, you know, particularly now, we found with the pandemic that uh, philanthropy has become a very big thing as people realized, you know, how fragile life can be. Um, and I've I've seen some use cases of uh, AI being used to find. The appropriate charitable causes for uh, clients and advisors to consider based on their inputs, uh, which I thought was very fascinating. Um, but this has been great, Brian. Thank you very much. We really appreciate it. Before we go, is there anything else you would like to add? Um,
1: yeah, I think one, one final thing, and, and thank you so much for having me on today, Lubna. Um, you know it's it's been a I can't believe the time has flown by this is you know we covered so many different topics it's been <laughs> awesome um, you know one maybe parting piece of advice and, and thought that I can give um, not just to the wealth tech industry but you know overall to the wealth industry is. You know, it's all about getting to know your customer and your investor. And at the end of the day, investors and customers and consumers of wealth are, are people like, like you and me, Lubna, right? And the more we can concentrate on values, the more we can concentrate on the human aspect um, and, and make it relatable, I think the, the, the better, I think we will all be served. And that's where we can prioritize our investments, certainly in technology from that perspective
0: absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I think that is the perfect ending to this fantastic episode. Thank you, Brian. Thank you.